Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the 154th edition of KHOI Community Radio's Capital Week, your window on the world of Iowa politics, where we explore and analyze who's been making news in and around the state capitol, what that news is, and what it all means. We're glad you're with us. I'm Dennis Hart, joined, as always, by my longtime partner in politics, Laura Bellin of the blog site Bleeding Heartland. Welcome, Laura. Good to be here, Dennis. Laura, we are just one week away from the Iowa caucuses, one week, and this was the first day of this year's state legislative session. We are going to get to all of that. But we begin with the tragedy that unfolded last Thursday morning at Perry High School, when a 17-year-old student opened fire and killed an 11-year-old boy and injured seven others, including the school principal. Laura, just about everybody in Iowa knows what happened, but there have been new developments on this Monday afternoon as we go live on Monday night, including the parents of 17-year-old Dylan Butler, the Perry shooter, releasing a statement. Take it from there. Yes, the parents said that they were simply devastated about what happened. They expressed grief for the student who was killed, uh, Amir Jolif, and said that they had no idea what their son had intended and what horrible violence he was about to inflict. In the wake of that shooting, hundreds of students walked out of class this Monday afternoon to protest what they say is lawmakers in action on gun violence. Then there was a rally at the state capitol. Yes, a group called March for Our Lives Iowa. They have rallied at the state capitol before on this issue, and it's a group that encourages young people to become involved in politics generally, and they gathered at the state capitol today to demand some kind of action. Of course, it's it's there's very little chance that the Iowa legislature would take any action to restrict guns in any way. Before students left classes today, lawmakers were already talking about the shooting at Perry High, and Governor Reynolds uh, spoke at the Republican Party's annual legislative breakfast about it. Yes, the Republicans typically gather on the first morning before the legislature convenes, and and the governor said our hearts remain heavy with the unthinkable and senseless tragedy that unfolded at Perry High. Uh, This afternoon, the governor signed a disaster proclamation that apparently is going to make it quicker for state government agencies to get resources to Dallas County and the Perry community. Republican House Speaker Pat Grassley said in his words, people choose Iowa because our state state is viewed as safe. And House Democratic Minority Leader Jennifer Confers told her colleagues in her words, it's simply time to do something. So everybody had Perry on their mind. Yes. And Iowa House and Senate Democrats have introduced gun safety bills before, and they, of course, don't ever get a hearing in the legislature. But uh, Leader Confers said today that people at the end of the session should feel safer taking their kids to school in the morning than they do today. Meanwhile, funeral services for the 11-year-old student who was killed, and he is Amir Jolif, he was in the sixth grade, they will take place Thursday in Perry, and classes at Perry High canceled all this week. Yes, and and middle school and elementary school classes also canceled for most of the week. The profiles that have come out in the news about Amir Jolif, I mean, it's just so heartbreaking. Of course, any loss of life of a child is always heartbreaking, but he was a happy child. He was excited to get back to school after the winter break. This tragedy happened on the first day that Perry School students were back at school. They that One of the stories, and his mother said that he used to keep a, a chest of toys toys in the front yard that was just unlocked and open so that anybody who wanted to could play with the toys. Yeah. Paul Wearson on Local Talk this morning, which I was hosting, had a marvelous uh, commentary on what he saw, oh, Friday night up at Story City, where everybody came out in Perry Blue, the ball players, the fans, and he was choking up talking about it. And he said, and this was memorable, 
He said, uh, we all wish that we could have been the ones to jump in front of that little boy, Amir Joliffe, and take the bullet for him, but we could not. Yes, I mean, it, it's just so, as I said, just so heartbreaking. Yes. And the politicians weighed in with their reactions. Most of them were in Florida or in uh, Georgia, Florida, Georgia, Iowa last week. Where am I? President Biden said it was heartbreaking and gut-wrenching. Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, they all had reactions. They did. I mean, Donald Trump got a lot of attention for his remarks. He was he was speaking at a rally in Sioux Center, and he said that it was horrible and uh, that that it was a terrible thing that happened. But then he said that we need to get over it and we need to move forward. And that I think that uh, a lot of people were very surprised by the tenor of those remarks. Right. DeSantis said gun violence should be addressed at the state and local level. Uh, Haley said no parent, student, or teacher should have to wake up and face news about a school shooting. And Ramaswamy said, and many people would agree with him, we have a psychological sickness at the core of our country right now. Yes, and Vivek Ramaswamy actually was scheduled to have an event in Perry. He did cancel the event, and that's a big thing for him because he didn't even cancel the events that he had scheduled in northwest Iowa today, despite the snow that's moving in. Perhaps the most important thing that we can offer tonight on this broadcast is advice on where listeners can get help if they need it in the wake of this shooting. Yes, uh, the Polk County Public Health, they have a document on their website that gives advice to parents about how to talk to children of different ages about school shootings. The State Department of Health and Human Services has a website, yourlifeiowa.org. They have resources people can call, text, chat line. This can be for any kind of mental health issue or suicidal thoughts or stress, anxiety. And also the National Alliance on Mental Illness, which is NAMI, is the abbreviation on their website is namiiowa.org, N-A-M-I iowa.org. They have resources, and depending on what county you're in, they can connect people with more local mental health resources. But it's incredibly stressful, and when something like this happens, uh, many people can envision themselves or their children, uh, their students, their friends, and so it's something that creates a lot of stress and anxiety for many people. And of course, Laura and I wish the very best of healing and whatever else has to take place in Perry. We hope that you will begin the recovery process and somehow get over this. Yes. And I mean, to the family of Amir Jolif, I mean, it's just hard to imagine, but everybody in the school, this is, this is a traumatic experience, even for people who weren't physically injured. And it's something that will take a long time to recover from. All right. The state legislature did open its new session today and they began the proceedings in a very solemn manner. Yes, the Iowa House and Senate uh, had a moment of silence for the victims of the shooting in Perry and all of the leadership, uh, both the majority and the minority leaders in their opening day remarks, they all referenced what happened. And it was just you could tell that it was really on everybody's minds. No business was conducted. After all, it really was the first day. But the legislature is expected, as we talked a little bit about it last week, is expected to focus on several key things this coming session. Yes, the opening day is always just speeches from the majority and minority leaders that they do. The the committees typically hold their first organizational meetings and they do things like formally they have a proclamation where they invite the governor to give a speech. But but the, the Republican leadership made clear that taxes are going to be a big thing. They're probably going to speed up some of the tax cuts that were already passed in previous years. Uh, There may be legislation to phase out the tax. There is going to be more legislation related to education. The governor has already said that she wants a comprehensive review of area education agencies. Those uh, help students. They help smaller school districts. 
districts with services. They help students with disabilities and even uh, students who are younger than school age, uh, children with disabilities as well. And I wanted to mention that House Speaker Pat Grassley today did allude to the federal court ruling that blocked the school book bans from going into effect. And he indicated uh, that there may take some action if we need to pass additional legislation this session to protect students from inappropriate material, what he called it, uh, they may do that. So the legislature hopes every year to have perhaps a three and a half month session. There are deadlines along the way, and I know we've talked about this every year, but people probably forget what we've talked about, unfortunately. Let's talk about some of the deadlines, some of the key deadlines that have to be passed if legislation is going to be passed. Yeah, so hundreds of bills are introduced every year in the legislature, but the first deadline that comes is is after the fourth week of the session that any bill that hasn't been approved by one committee in either the Iowa House or the Senate is typically dead for the year, unless it's related to taxes or spending. Those are the exceptions, but most policy bills have to get through a committee. So it needs to have a subcommittee hearing and get through the committee by February 16th. That's that first funnel deadline. Then the second funnel is on March 15th of this year. Every bill to stay alive that's not a spending or tax bill has to be approved by one chamber and at least one committee in the other chamber. So bills that got through the Iowa House have to get through a committee in the Senate and vice versa. And that is, you know, there are occasional exceptions. Sometimes when there's a priority or when the the governor really wants something, they can speed up a bill, they can add it as a new policy, as an amendment to a budget bill or something. But for the most part, bills that don't make it through those funnels that are happening in the middle of February, in the middle of March are not going to move forward this year. The legislature is scheduled for 100 days in session. That would mean that they would hope to wrap things up by April 16th of this year. Okay, well, that, and that really never happens. I think the one year, 2010, was one year where the legislature actually got out a little bit early. They adjourned by the end of March, but it's so they schedule 100 days, and those are the days that the legislators are getting a per diem allowance. So the per diem that they're receiving runs out on April 16th. And I would guess that since it's an election year, usually they like to get out of town a little sooner. I think that they will probably finish by the end of April, but it, they usually don't finish by that 100th day. Well, this year's session doesn't look to be as frantic as last year's was when things were being introduced on a daily basis. And as we've said many times, it was really difficult to keep up with all that was going on. Yes. And sometimes with the tax bills, I mean, it's been different. One of the years in 2022, they did pass a major tax bill in the middle of the session, but often the tax reform at the House and the Senate are often haggling. And that's usually one of the last things to get done. And the budget is also usually one of the last things to get done. And so, but they don't like to go into overtime in the election year. It's not just the legislature that's going to be in action this week. We're going to have several speeches being made starting Tuesday night. That's tomorrow night, if you're listening to us live on Monday, when the governor is going to give her annual condition of the state address. Laura, your mic is uh, muted, I think. I am not hearing you, and I believe you are muted. Can you hear me? Uh, okay, sorry about that. I am unmuted now. I believe. So the governor used to always give the condition of the state speech at 10 a.m. on the second day of the session. And during the pandemic, the governor changed this to give a primetime address. I think initially it was 
thought that that was because of the importance of what she was saying during the pandemic. But the Governor Reynolds has continued this tradition. So the condition of the state that always used to be on that second morning now is that second evening. Uh, but the Chief Justice of the Iowa Supreme Court addresses both chambers of the legislature on Wednesday morning and on Thursday morning, the head of the Iowa National Guard gives an annual update on what's going on. All right, we're going to be covering all of this next Monday night, along with this other thing called the Iowa caucus. And we're going to get into that in about 20 seconds after I say it is about 12 and a half minutes after the hour. And wherever you're listening to us, you're in tune with KHOI Radio's Capital Week, your one-stop source for everything political going on in Iowa. I'm Dennis Hart with Laura Bellin, and we're here every week at this time. We've been here for more than three years at this time to talk about politics, Iowa style, and how it's affecting all of us. All right, Laura, here's our theme song. Capital Week Caucus Almanac. Wait, I don't hear it. We still don't have one, do we? We haven't gotten a theme song for this. Ran out of time for the Iowa Caucus Almanac theme song. <laughs> All right. The Iowa Presidential Caucus. One week from this Monday night. It seems amazing. We've been talking about it for a year. First, the U.S. Supreme Court is going to decide if Donald Trump can be on the Colorado ballot. Yes, and this is essential because, as we discussed last week, the Secretary of State of Maine had also ruled Trump ineligible for the ballot. There were different legal challenges going ahead in different states, and I think that it's a matter of such national importance that the U.S. Supreme Court moved rather quickly. They're going to hear oral arguments on February 8th, and so I would expect a decision pretty soon after that. They do need to make a decision, but the problem with whatever decision they make is half the country is not going to believe it's a legitimate decision. I think so. And I've heard a lot of speculation from legal analysts that they may split the difference. You know, if the U.S. Supreme Court eventually takes up the question of whether Trump as a former president is immune from criminal prosecution, that's a matter that right now is pending before the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, that the U.S. Supreme Court could sort of split the difference so they could rule in Trump's favor on this idea that he is eligible to appear on the primary ballots, but they could rule against him in the sense of saying that he's not forever immune from criminal prosecution. Remember, this: the primary ballot issue is related to the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. This was adopted after the Civil War, and it was designed to prevent people who had participated in insurrection from holding any office in the country. And so the big question is, was what happened in on January 6th of 2021 and the storming of the Capitol does that meet the definition of an insurrection as envisioned by the 14th Amendment to the Constitution? As you might imagine, virtually all the candidates were here in Iowa last week, blowing all over the place. Let's start with the former president, Donald Trump. He was in several locations, but on Saturday, he was in Newton and Laura Bellin, you were there too. And we want to get a firsthand look at what you heard and saw. Yes, I've been watching the former president's rallies online, but I decided to attend the one in Newton in person. So he had a, a really busy schedule, by the way. Uh, Donald Trump hasn't held very many events in Iowa last year, but he had two events on Friday in Sioux Center and Mason City, and then two events on Saturday in Newton, which is in central Iowa, and in Clinton over in eastern Iowa. And every time he's at one of these rallies, he speaks for more than an hour. So it's a lot. And people are waiting in line for hours outside. Once they get inside and go through security, because of course the Secret Service is there, they then uh, go through the, um, I mean, people have to wait then for for hours before the program starts. Usually there are many other speakers before the president and, and then the former president speaks for more than an hour. So a lot of what he says is not scripted. He's not reading from a teleprompter. Usually near the very end, it looks like he is 
sticking to a script, but he's kind of riffing on a lot of topics. So he has favorite topics, uh, criticizing the President Joe Biden, calling him incompetent and corrupt, uh, falsely claiming that the 2020 election was stolen. And you might think, like, how can this take more than an hour? But he really develops, it's it's almost like he's speaking off the cuff, but he really develops a long uh, set of, of arguments. So for instance, when he talks about the election allegedly being stolen, um, he'll say things like, well, we got 63 million votes in 2016, and then we got 74 million votes in 2020. And how could we lose when we got so many million more votes? And, you know, the answer is, Turnout was a lot higher. The electorate was a lot larger, but nobody's challenging him, right? So he goes on and on. And, and he, there's, he occasionally introduces some kind of new idea, but really he's recycling a lot of the old material. Among the things he said uh, this past week in Iowa, he said that the January 6, 2021 riot of the U.S. Capitol was done, and I'm quoting, patriotically and peacefully, although the video we have seen, including live pictures, uh, seem to belie that. He also said that immigrants crossing the U.S. border are the insurrection. And he said in another location, this was in Clinton, he called on President Biden to release those convicted and imprisoned for for crimes relating to the January 6th riots. He's all over the place on that. And the crowd seems to buy into it. I guess one new thing this weekend that I hadn't heard before is he said he called, he sometimes called the people who were arrested in connection with January 6th political prisoners. But over this weekend, he called them hostages and then right away, so this was just on Saturday that he referred to these people as as hostages. He has said in the past that he is going to pardon people convicted of crimes related to January 6th. And then on Sunday morning, uh, one of the top leaders in the U.S. House of Representatives, Elise Stefanik, was on Meet the Press. And when she was asked if people who participated in storming the Capitol on January 6th should be prosecuted, she said, I have concerns about the treatment of the January 6th hostages. So, I mean, it was just an example of how quickly rhetoric moves from something that Donald Trump says to something that leaders in the Republican Party adopt. Well, an interesting thing's happening in the last few days, and this is that Ron DeSantis has really taken, I think, to coming after Trump. He came after him for calling the folks at the riot patriots. He said, of course they weren't. And uh, today he talked about how Trump, who apparently made a comment about he could have negotiated the Civil War before it happened, if he were president back in 1860, and DeSantis said, I don't even know what he's talking about. So DeSantis seems to be getting a little more aggressive against Trump. Well, and that was something new from his speech in Newton. He, he often, Donald Trump talks about how a certain wars and conflicts wouldn't be happening if he were president. So he claims Russia wouldn't have invaded Ukraine, Hamas wouldn't have attacked Israel, and that he can prevent World War III. And then when he started talking about negotiations and you have to know how to negotiate, and that he, he then was criticizing Nikki Haley for what she said about the Civil War. And that's when, again, it almost looked like he was thinking out loud. And he said, you know, the Civil War, it was a horrible thing and so many people were killed. And, you know, that could have been negotiated. It really could have been negotiated. And that was something I hadn't heard before at any of his other rallies. But I think as far as Ron DeSantis, I mean, it's really too little, too late, honestly. And criticizing Trump for not 
getting things done, not finishing the border wall or whatever the issue is. I mean, these groups that have been trying to discourage Republicans from supporting Trump, they had focus groups earlier in the year. I think we talked about this a couple of months ago. One of these groups that it is funded by large donors who don't like Trump, they tested 40 different ads with messages about Trump. And they found that most of these had absolutely no effect on Republican voters' support for Trump. So it's it's very difficult, and I don't really see DeSantis getting any traction from this at this late date. All right, we're going to try to keep this as simple and clear as we can. CNN is going to host a Republican presidential primary debate in Iowa on Wednesday night. But last week, they hosted two town halls with Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley, separate town halls on Thursday night. And both of the candidates, DeSantis and Haley, spend a lot of their time coming after Trump. Yes, they did. And I mean, these town halls, I don't know how many likely caucus goers or undecided caucus goers are tuning in. These town halls tend to be important, mainly if somebody makes news, either in a good way or a bad way. So there were no major gaffes at these back-to-back CNN town halls. Uh, They were... DeSantis and Haley, they they were a little bit sharper in their criticism of Donald Trump, but really, I I still feel that they are still overall uh, defending Trump. They they talked about weaponization uh, and they were critical of the prosecutions of Trump. So, for instance, they didn't say that you know Donald Trump that it's his own fault that he's facing these criminal charges because of what he did. They, there was nothing like that. They were uh, they were and also they were criticizing each other as we've mentioned that a lot of people are watching to see who finishes second between Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley and so they're spending a lot of time criticizing each other almost more than criticizing Donald Trump. Yeah, and DeSantis came after Haley for a particular comment she had made and this was a gaffe. Uh, about how New Hampshire voters are going to be able to correct, her word, correct voters at the upcoming Iowa caucuses. She obviously thinks she's going to lose the Iowa caucuses to DeSantis, but she says New Hampshire people can correct that. Yes. And I mean, it's just, it's factual that over the decades that often the winner of the Iowa caucus does not go on to win the New Hampshire primary. That's been true in both parties. The electorates are quite different and the polls show Haley running behind in New Hampshire, but but it's a much closer race in New Hampshire than it is in Iowa, where she's perhaps 30 points or more behind Donald Trump. We're not sure. But so, yes, she she tried to walk that back by saying that she was lighthearted and it was making a joke. And I, I think that I mean, the DeSantis campaign, they have an ad up that an online ad that talks about how Nikki Haley insulted all Iowans by, say, implying that what Iowans do is something New Hampshire voters need to correct. I mean, it seems all a little bit inside baseball to me. But like I said, it is true that often New Hampshire votes differently from how the Iowa Republicans caucus. And if all of these appearances weren't enough, there we had NBC and the Des Moines Register combining to separately interview DeSantis, Haley, and Vivek Ramaswamy last week. Yeah, there was a lot of this news going on. And DeSantis, of course, came after Haley. Uh, Haley came after DeSantis because they have to. They're in a fight for second uh, behind Trump. Right. And and Ramaswamy, I mean, he's upset that he was excluded from these CNN town halls, and he's also going to be excluded from the CNN debate that they're holding this week. And I mean, I think that he's been really trying to get a lot of attention by holding so many events, but this is something where (laughs) it's just such a strange campaign and we've talked about it before, but when you have one front runner who's so far ahead of the rest of the field, and then the rest of the field, instead of focusing on taking down the front runner, are focusing on each other. And that's why I really question whether any of these people are actually trying to win the nomination in 2024, 
And I think some of them are positioning themselves more for 2028, or in the case of Ramaswamy, perhaps positioning himself for a job in the Trump administration if Donald Trump were to be elected again. Ramaswamy made some news of his own last week, a little bit separate from all this. He said he would pardon Trump on his, Ramaswamy's first day in office as president, and that it would unite this country and move our country forward. He was referring to what former President Ford did with former President Nixon after Nixon had resigned because of Watergate, he pardoned uh, Nixon. Yes, and I mean, Ramaswamy has really been catering to Trump supporters. I mean, another thing that he did on January 6th itself, he tweeted out, uh, happy entrapment day. So he, in the immediate aftermath of January 6th, uh, Ramaswamy was very critical of what Trump did and said that it was a terrible day. But now he has come around to try to kind of a revisionist position to try to say, well, really, this was something that that the FBI, that they they set people up and that this is not really how things happened. And so it, and now he's even suggested that maybe the election really was stolen. So, I mean, but the problem is, if you really believe that, I mean, you're going to caucus for Donald Trump, right? Not for Vivek Ramaswamy. That's what the part of it that doesn't really compute for me is if you're trying to appeal so much to Trump supporters. So that's why I think that maybe he's angling for a job rather than for votes. And very quickly, he received an endorsement from former Iowa Congressman Steve King last week, did Ramaswamy. Yes, Ramaswamy has been the most outspoken against using eminent domain for CO2 pipelines. And that's an issue where the other candidates have been kind of used what I would call a weasel words and been a little bit evasive. And Ramaswamy, Steve King, although he's no longer in office, he's been very active in the campaign to oppose the CO2 pipelines and especially seizing the government using its power to allow private companies to seize land for the purposes of those pipelines. So yes, that was an endorsement. I don't know how much sway Steve King really has in the Iowa caucuses among the Iowa Republican base, but that was something Ramaswamy was very happy to tout at his events last week. All right, about four minutes to go. The U.S. Supreme Court has decided it's going to decide an issue involving abortion. Yeah, so this doesn't affect Iowa directly, but there's a federal law that says that uh, hospitals have to be able to do some abortions and emergencies regardless of what state law says. And Idaho is challenging that. And so the U.S. Supreme Court is, is going to hear that case. And meanwhile, the Iowa Board of Medicine held a hearing last week and they heard an earful from Iowa doctors about the proposed state abortion rules. Yes. And also, I heard today that the head, the person who is the main administrator for the Board of Medicine mentioned that of all of the comments that people submitted in writing or orally regarding those draft rules on the abortion ban, if those almost all of them but one were negative. So a few were technical, but most of them were negative about the abortion restrictions. Now, remember, the abortion ban that the legislature approved and the governor signed last summer is not in effect right now. But these rules are being drafted so that if the Iowa Supreme Supreme Court were ever to rule that the law can go into effect, these are the rules that would govern how doctors deal with these cases and how doctors decide whether one of the exceptions applied. So that the hearing was last week, the Iowa Board of Medicine is going to meet late this week and is going to agree on some kind of final proposed wording for these administrative rules. Briefly, what were the main objections that you heard? Um, several objections about vagueness, about the fact that the rules they require doctors to interrogate patients about whether if a pregnancy was the result of a rape or an incest. Also, uh, some of the procedural things, they don't really conform to the standard of care that doctors offer. And then there were just some people who just in general, I mean, they were more opposed to the law itself than to the, the, the wording of the rules. Also, I should mention that a legislative committee today 
uh, discussed those draft rules. And a couple of the Democrats on the committee said uh, state representative Rick Olson and state Senator Nate Bolton, they had some legal questions. There are terms in the rules that are not defined. Uh, one of the things says that you, that an abortion would be allowed if there is the rape that is prosecutable, but then it doesn't explain, well, what, what does prosecutable mean in this context? So, I mean, there will be a lot more discussion of these rules, but um, many of the people who were opposed to the abortion ban are, are also opposed to the rules, and they think that it will make it very difficult for doctors to earn the trust of patients when they have to ask them a lot of intrusive questions. And one more note with a minute to go, the governor held a public hearing for Iowans last week. Yes, it was really more for Iowa lobby groups. I mean, I don't know if there were any individual groups. I, I was It was held virtually, so it was on Zoom, and I watched it, and it mostly consisted of groups uh, telling the governor that they were very happy with what her administration was doing and what they were looking for. Several of the groups, like the Iowa Chamber Alliance, the Iowa Association of Business and Industry, they're looking for more tax cuts this year. The Iowa Farm Bureau also was there uh, looking for certain things to happen, but there really wasn't a lot of news that came out of that hearing, and certainly the governor didn't end she didn't give any details about what's going to be in her budget or what she's going to be pushing for. That's, of course, going to be in the speech that she's delivering to the legislature on Tuesday evening of this week. Laura, we have been working toward next week all year. Next week is the night. It's caucus night. We're going to be on the air live just as the caucuses begin. And as I say, we've been working for this. It's what we live for to report this. It's going to be interesting next Monday night. Yes. And then we'll be back to do another live program on Tuesday morning instead of rebroadcasting the Monday show. So we'll be able to talk about all the Iowa caucuses results at 6 a.m. on Tuesday morning. I, Laura, you took the words right out of my mouth. You read ahead of the format. I love it. You have a great week, okay? I will. I'm looking forward to it, Dennis. All right. We are, we are out of time. And you have been listening to Capital Week on KHOI Community Radio. A reminder that the views and opinions expressed here did not necessarily reflect the opinions of KHOI or its staff. Now a programming note as Laura approached this one. We will be back next week in the same time slot live, as always, and it's on Caucus Night. We're going to talk about everything interesting, important, or entertaining about politics Iowa style. Then, at 6 o'clock next Tuesday morning, January 16th, we are going to be on the air live, a special live broadcast of Capital Week. We're going to talk about what happened on caucus night and what it all might mean. We're going to get up, so we hope you will get up as well. Until then, thank you so much for the privilege of your time. We appreciate it. We value it. Between now and next time, have a safe, healthy, and happy week. <laughs>